0: middle of a series that we're calling home improvement. Now we're not talking about building houses. We're talking about our house. The Bible calls our household, our house, and how we can build our families, how we can improve our families, how we can make our families more godly. We're addressing our households. And we started talking about allowing God to be the builder, following the blueprint, that God had set out for us, that, that in God's Word there are some plans, there are some blueprints that would be good for us to follow as we build our houses. Last week we talked about inspection, allowing Jesus to come in and to be the inspector, to find those things in our houses that need to be driven out and to drive them out. Um, and, and we declared last week that we were going to ask Jesus to drive those things out. The next phase in our home improvement journey is demolition. Um, Now, whether we're talking about molecules in the ozone or cells in our own body or renovations in our home, demolition is a part of the process. Tearing down is an integral part of building up. You know, I told you we like to watch the uh, renovation shows and, and demo day is always one of those things. You know, you have to, you have to tear out all the old in order to, uh, to build in the new. Demo day is essential. Even when we moved into our new home, we were going to uh, replace the countertops. Well, in order for that to be done, you didn't just put something over them. You had to tear the old out so that you could put the, in, put the new in. And it was messy, and it was ugly, and it was almost unlivable. And, and, but it was necessary. And the same is true of our lives. The same is true of our homes. When we invite Jesus to inspect our houses and to drive out the things that are pulling us away from Him, it's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. And at, sometimes it's going to be unlivable. But it's necessary. One of my favorite examples of this is in the story of David. If you've been around very much, you know that David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Um, David is is one that I identify with a whole lot because David messed up a good bit. And I, I mess up a good bit. And, and, and it's awesome that, you, that I can look at this guy who messed up in, in all these huge ways and still was called by Scripture a man after God's own heart. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that even in spite of my failures and my mess-ups, that I might still be called a man after God's own heart. And if you look in the book of 1 Samuel after we meet David, and of course we all know the story of David and Goliath, after that, David becomes something of a celebrity. He becomes something of a local hero. They sing songs about him. Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And Saul makes him a leader of men. He makes him a general in the army and sends him out. Now, Saul is hoping that he won't come back, but he sends him out in hopes that, that he will be killed. But David just flourishes because the Spirit of God is with him, the Bible tells us. And and he continues to be successful time after time again. And that only serves to further his fame. He also becomes the king's son-in-law. And he becomes the champion of Israel, the star, the celebrity. And it would seem that the next step would be for him to become king. It's been promised to him. He's been anointed earlier in the book. He is now the celebrity. And Saul himself believes that the next step for David is that he will be made king. But that's not the step that God chooses. See, sometimes you have to tear down in order to build up. After the third time Saul tries to pin him to the wall, David gets the message. He realizes that This is not a problem that, like most problems in my life, I can kill. I have to run away. I have to run, and so he runs. And as he runs, we begin to see David stripped of all his crutches, all his supports, all his security blankets, everything that he has built his life on, systematically taken away from him one by one. David is stripped of each and everything that he puts his hope in, that he he holds on to. And he ends up in the wilderness, stopping in a cave. And in that cave, he writes the words in Psalm 142, There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Now keep in mind here, David has done nothing wrong. This is not a punishment. David is not being being punished because of some sin in his life. In fact, he's been the model of humility, dependability, and integrity. He has been the model of a man seeking God, yet systematically, everything that David depends on is being stripped away from his life. Now, for a young man, this must have been a faith-shaking experience. Here he was, the anointed of God. The one who had been promised that he would be the leader of Israel, the chosen one, following the will of God to the best of his ability, and yet it seemed like turn after turn after turn, everything's falling apart. There's a lot of us that can understand that, isn't there? You feel like everything you're doing is right. You have been trying to serve God to the best of your ability. You've been faithful. You've been a a model of dependability. And, And when everybody else around you is falling aside, you're still trying. But yet, no matter what, it seems like at every turn, stuff is falling apart. Sometimes, God tears down in order to build up. David lost a number of things. We're going to look at those just briefly this morning and then hopefully we can get some kind of inspiration, some kind of example as to how we can get out of that cave ourselves. First David loses his position. See, he's been promised that that he is the chosen one. He has been promoted To the king of God's army, he has led men into battle. He is something of a a celebrity. The people love him. They sing songs about him. They dance in the streets as he returns from his latest exploit. But that very celebrity lights a fire of jealousy in King Saul. And, And that rage is lashed out against David. And David has no choice but to now go from the general, the celebrity, the star, to an outlaw. A fugitive on the run for his life, hunted by the very army that he was just leading. And so first he loses his position, then he loses his wife. See, Michael was given to David as as a prize by King Saul. That was common in that day and time. And although Michael loves David, Saul tries to use her to get to him. He sends men to grab David at home when his guard's down. Michael smuggles him out a window and covers for him until he can escape. Then, then trapped between her husband and her father, she says, I had to help him. He threatened to kill me. And David loses his wife. They'll be brought together again years later, but their hearts will never again be joined like they once were. And so David loses his wife. Next, He loses his mentor. David flees to Samuel. Samuel is is the one who has anointed him. He's been his connection with the voice of God. Samuel has been the one that David could always turn to, no matter what, who was godly and who could give him some some guidance as to what the will of God was in his life. And, And he thinks, surely I'll be safe there. Because even crazy King Saul will not raise his hand against a prophet of God. And he's wrong again. Saul pursues him and David flees once more running for his life. And this is the last time he will ever see Samuel. Even when Samuel dies, David's not free to attend the funeral because he is still hunted. And so another crutch, another security blanket, another another thing that he cherishes in his life is stripped away. He also loses his best friend. When David leaves Samuel, he flees to Jonathan. Jonathan is his best friend. From their first meeting, these two had been joined in soul and spirit. Their friendship is, is sacred and is held up as an example by scripture. David would later write, Jonathan, my brother, first, uh, 2 Samuel one twenty six. you were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. At first, Jonathan refuses to believe that his father is is so out there that he would be trying to kill David. Finally, when Saul throws a spear at his own son in a fit of rage for helping David, Jonathan has no choice but to acknowledge that it's too late and David needs to run. And so there, David loses his best friend. Then David runs to a place called Nob. In chapter 21, his desperation to save himself, he he tries to shape God to fit his own needs. Throughout all of this, he has failed to inquire of the Lord. He is only running. He's trying to get away. He's only thinking of his own survival. He's only thinking of himself. And as he comes to Nob, he meets with some priests and he lies to them to fulfill his own needs. He tells them he's on a mission from the king and that he's been sent by the king to do these things. That lie is going to come back to haunt him because at Nob, David loses his integrity. And finally, with nowhere else to turn, David flees to the land of the Philistines. He's just running blindly, trying to get away, trying to find some place of safety. And and so, out of survival, he finds himself at a place called Gath. Gath in the land of the Philistines was the hometown of their hero, Goliath. And so, as David realizes where he is, he realizes this is not going to be a warm welcome. And so, at Gath, he has to figure out how to get out of this and he loses his dignity. All those tens of thousands of people that the Israelites sang about David had killed, those were Philistines. The 100 dead dowry that Saul had demanded, which David doubled to 200, were Philistines. And now he stands at the city gates of these Philistines and he realizes that he's run from the arms of one threat into the arms of another. And so he pretends to be insane. He scratches at the gate, he drools all over himself, he pretends to be insane, and at Gath, the final blow, David loses his dignity. And he's at the bottom, as low as he can go, and he goes to the caves at Adullam. He's lost his position, his wife, his mentor, his friend, his integrity, and his dignity, and he's about as low as a man can go, stripped of all pride trapped at the end of his rope. Adullam is a notorious hangout of outlaws. It's a series of caves that even today guides won't take you into because they say that if you get down there into those caves, men get lost and never come out again. And so David pins these words in those caves of Psalm 142. No one cares about me. Today... Many of our preachers would claim, well, David, you just need to claim victory. You just need to to name it and claim it and God will shower down the blessings on you. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be fulfilled. But the truth is not that. The truth is David at Adullam is exactly where God wants him to be. Are you in a cave this morning? Are you in a place where you identify those words, with those words of David? Nobody cares about me. Nobody is listening. Nobody cares if I'm here or there. Nobody cares if I show up or not. Are you feeling like you're at the end of your rope and that everything has been stripped around you? I tell you this morning, you may be right where God wants you to be. David comes out of that cave and we can too, not through some hocus-pocus positive thinking or not through some amazing pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstrap self-help. There's a path that he takes, and I think it's a path that you and I can take as well. First, David got back to God's blueprint. He finds himself by finding God. He reopens dialogue with the Lord. Throughout all this, all this running, David is not once stopped and inquired of the Lord. The Bible has not told us of any example of him seeking God. As he's had had one thing after another stripped from him, all these things couldn't sustain him. They gave him his identity in a lot of ways. And as they're stripped away, he loses who he is. But he finds that in finding God. Many times our security blankets become substitutes for God, whether it's my career, whether it's my family, whether it's my, my prestige, whether it's my integrity, whether it's my, my whatever it is. And, and last week we talked about asking Jesus to drive those things out, and, and as they're driven out, we get stripped down to the bottom. And and David gets stripped down to the bottom. He finally heard enough to stop looking at himself and to look to God. David had finally been brought low enough that he could admit his own need. The turning point for David comes in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2. And it says, Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. That's the first time that we hear of him inquiring from the Lord. And so this morning, if you're in that cave, the first step to get out of that cave is to seek God, to call on him, to look to him for safety and refuge, to find your identity in him. When we stop relying on crutches, when we stop relying on security blankets, when we stop stop trusting in ourselves, then we can start to get out of the cave. The prophet Hosea says it in this passage that that Josh read for us this morning. In Hosea 6, 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. The first step out of the cave is we have to seek God. The second step is we have to admit our own inadequacy. David calls in a contractor. He admits his own failure. He admits his own inability. He begins to recover his integrity by facing the ugly truth of his actions. Abiathar the priest comes to the cave and recounts to David how Saul had showed up after him at the village of Nob. The priest that had helped David had been systematically slaughtered by Saul's men. Every priest, every woman, every child, every animal killed and it hits David hard. He sits down and says, this is all my fault. 1 Samuel twenty two twenty two. David says, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Their blood's on my hands. This is my fault. I did this. But rather than wallow further into despair, rather than, than sink down further into depression, David truly repents. See, we can't fix things by brooding over them. We can't get out of the cave by sitting in there and dwelling on all the things that have been taken away from us. We can't step out until we own up to the part that is ours. The best grief that we have is not just grief, woe is me, I'm sorry for myself, but a grief that leads to, to repentance that leads us out of our own blind self preoccupation. When we accept responsibility for our own deceptions, our own callousness, our own self-centeredness, that's a first step towards healing. We got to stop telling ourselves that we're better than this. We got to stop telling ourselves that that This is not my fault. It's their fault. we got to stop telling ourselves that, that if only we have to admit that this is me. I did this. I failed. Paul says in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put out the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul says, Get rid of it. Get rid of all of it. It's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly, and at times it's going to be unlivable. It's going to be painful, but it's necessary. Paul says, Quit lying to one another. Repenting and owning our part in our sins is a key step in walking out of the cave. But we're good. We're, we're good at lying to each other. We show up on Sunday mornings and we say, How you doing? And we say, Man, I'm great. I'm blessed. When in reality, we know that that's a bunch of hogwash. We have to admit that we're all a mess. Nobody's got it together. Nobody's got it all figured out. Nobody is righteous, Paul says, not even one. This is a group of sinners saved by grace. That's what church is. It's not a bunch of holy people that come together to pat each other on the back at how holy we are. We're a bunch of people who admit that apart from the power of God working in us, we would all be in this cave. And then once we've done that, we don't stay there. Because the third part of this is, is David stands up. He, he rebuilds. He regains his dignity when he, when he resumes his God-given leadership and begins acting like the Lord's anointed. That cave psalm, Psalm 142, ends with these words, Then the righteous will gather about me. And they did. They came to the cave at Adullam in droves. Hundreds of them. David's family came. Those who were distressed came. Those who were in debt came. Those who were desolate came. Those who were desperate came. Came And they came to David, all the discontented, all the disheartened, all those who had nowhere else to go. All of the broken people came together at the caves at Adullam. And out of this group of rejects, out of this group of of malcontents and miscreants, out of this group of failures, God raises up an army of over 600 men. And David would find his inner circle here, his elite squad, men who would perform amazing heroic acts and be heroes throughout all Israel. But they started out in a cave as a bunch of failures. When David quit trying to go it alone, when he fully trusted God, and and when he admitted that he couldn't do it himself anymore, God led David to a place with others who were also struggling on their own. And together they became unstoppable. The Bible would call this group of failures David's mighty men. I'm going to tell you this morning, you know what I'd call that? Church. See, there's a lot of people who tell me all the time, I can't go to church. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I, I don't, but God does. And God says he can take every single one of us failures, every single one of us mess-ups, and he can put us together and make us a force that will change this world. The church is God's plan to change this world. Not the presidency, not the Congress, not the political process. The church, a group of messed-up failures who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, is God's plan to change this world. The people that we find here, people who are also struggling to regain focus, struggling to admit our own failures and our own inability to do this stuff, we come together to form a force led by God and equipped with His Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes the cave is exactly where God wants you to be. It's not popular. It's not a popular sermon that you'll hear preached a whole lot because this doesn't sell books. But it's the truth. Sometimes God has to tear you down in order to build you back up. And and sometimes God leads you into the wilderness. He leads you into the cave. Let me tell you this morning, if you take nothing else from this, the wilderness is a sacred place. God does miraculous things in the wilderness. Uh, This morning, if you find yourself in the wilderness, you may be exactly where God wants you. All of the great works of God began in the wilderness. Moses finds a burning. Before Jesus starts his earthly ministry, he spends 40 days and 40 nights. Where? In the wilderness. You see a pattern? If you're in the wilderness this morning, I'm telling you, you are in a sacred place, and you may be exactly where God wants you to be. He's stripping away all the things that we depend on, all the crutches, all all, all the security blankets, all the idols, and making us where we totally trust in Him. Now, to do that, we have to cry out to Him. We have to to look up. We have to go back to God's blueprint. We we have to take the focus off all the junk around us and and look to heaven. And then we have to repent. Now, we have to do our part in this journey, and our part is to admit, I can't do this by myself, and I'm going to go a different way. I'm tired of going this way because this way has gotten me nothing but trouble. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to let Him have control. And then finally, we stand up and take our place as God's anointed. We stop feeling sorry for ourselves. We stop mourning all that we've lost. And we focus on God and we allow Him to put us in the place where He wants us to be. That may be as a leader, it may be as a servant, I don't know. It it may be simply helping others find their way out of the cave. Sometimes God has to tear you down to build you back up. And the great miraculous works of God begin in the wilderness. This morning, if you're in that cave, if you're in that wilderness, I'm encouraging you to take that first step. Take a step out. Step out of that cave, step out of the wilderness. There are opportunities for you this morning to, to seek Him, and that's the first step. Let us go with you in prayer. Let us lift you up and say, God, we want you to take control. This morning, if, if you're there, if you're in that cave, if you're in that wilderness, you're right where God wants you to be. It's time to take a step out, and you can do that right now.